It's time for the Crunch Time Plays podcast, where we talk all things sports from the collegiate level all the way up to the pros. And now, here's your host, Bennett Ganey. What's up, y'all? Liv Moose here. Hey, what's up? This is Danny Wexelman. Hey, everyone. I'm Steffi Smalls. What's up, everyone? It's Ben Lindsay. This is Andrea Carter. Hey there, it's Brooks Austin. And you are watching and listening to Crunch Time Plays. Hello, everybody. Thanks for joining us on another edition of Crunch Time Plays. It is time for the NCAA Baseball Tournament, and we're focusing on the Columbia Regional today. We're also going to hit some other regionals as well as we get go throughout the weekend. So, However you want to watch or listen to, to this episode, you can watch it through the weekend while you're enjoying your baseball this weekend. But we've got one of the best today. I thoroughly enjoy watching his show. Him and Darren Goldwater do an outstanding job on the JB and Goldwater show. And that is Jamie Bradford. JB, what's up, brother? Hey, man. Uh, thanks for thinking about me and having me on. I really appreciate it. You're doing a, a really good job with this thing. I know a few months ago you and I had kind of connected as you were getting started. And, uh, you know, I've followed along as much as I've could, but you've done a, a really good job. I'm happy for you. And I hope uh, uh, hope that this program keeps keeps going in the right direction. You're doing a great job, man. I really appreciate that, and and, and tell tell Darren uh, that I said hello as well because y'all y'all do y'all do an incredible job with your show as well. I thoroughly enjoy watching y'all every day. Well, we really appreciate that. Yep, you know, you know we've we've both been in this industry a long time, and um, you know it's a, it kind of worked out last year where we were able to put something together and do something a little different than nobody else does, and uh, and so we have fun with it. Certainly, it's a great time of the year. I know a lot of people get scared of sports radio and sports television, the media side of things in the summer. They go, well, what do, you, what do you do? Well, you hope that one of your in-state teams makes a run in baseball. That's what you hope for. And uh, and there's a couple of Palmetto State teams this year that have a chance. And certainly the Gamecocks are back in a position that they've been used to being in over you know the last 20-plus years or so. And so hopefully this thing keeps rolling right on through the weekend. And But nonetheless, I'll tell you what, man. College baseball, we boy, we missed it last year, and and I've told people for for years. I mean, I played this sport and uh, you know understand it inside and out, and uh, and Bennett, you know, there's there's nothing better than the postseason in college baseball. I, I know people will hear that and they'll say, well, March Madness or the NFL playoffs or or whatever they want to throw out there. I agree, everybody has is entitled to their own opinion. Um, but there's nothing that's set up like this, where you go to regionals and supers, and then you put the eight best out there in Omaha. It, it is the neatest thing to watch. And if you're if you're the casual baseball fan, generally you tune in this time of year. And and my hope is that always people who jump on board in June that they'll like it enough to start in February the following year and just keep growing this sport as much as we can. Uh, there's no doubt about that, and it, it's my favorite. The time of year we always try to debate on on which postseason is the best, but but for me it's it's really hard to beat the regionals and super regional play, and then and then getting out to Omaha is just a really special time of the year. And I just wanted to start off by talking to you about South Carolina. We talk about the talk about the state teams uh, in the postseason, but really there was a lot of debate surrounding South Carolina where they where they should whether they should be a host whether they should be a one seed, a two seed, kind of in, in that last kind of SEC host site of debate there with Florida. But to me, when I when I look at it, it couldn't have worked out any better for South Carolina. I mean, even though you're the you're the two seed, you got old Dominion coming in as the one, but just 
without even looking at the teams in your regional, it just based on the pairings, it couldn't have worked out better for South Carolina because you got Florida there as the number 15 overall seed being a one seed in Gainesville, but they're paired up with Texas. And so you, if you win that regional, probably have to going to go out to Austin to play, but then South Carolina being matched up with the 11 seed old dominion as the one seed in Columbia, you get TCU as the six seed overall seed out there in Fort Worth. So really the Gamecocks came out ahead in that deal. Yeah, well, you know, look, you know, any way you cut it, they were going to have a difficult road to Omaha. It, it always is. And, uh, you know, you're going to see aces. The good news for South Carolina is that they've seen them all year. I mean, they've, they've seen the best arms in college baseball. They're going to see another one in Andrew Abbott, of course, coming up at noon on Friday. But this league, that trip to Texas earlier in the season, you know, the Clemson series, uh, it's, it's prepared them. The the time off, although it comes on the heels of a nine to three drubbing, a, a pretty disastrous looking performance against Alabama and Hoover, uh, the time off was so beneficial. And so, you know, it's kind of a catch twenty two double edged sword type deal. Uh, there's a there's a there's a good side and a bad side to that. The bad side is they didn't advance and had maybe they gone three or four days into the SEC tournament, they might have worked their way into a national seed, which would have given them a better draw earlier. But as you mentioned. The draw later, if you advance, would have been to go on the road to either uh, Arkansas, Texas, Vanderbilt, Tennessee, and I, and I don't think that they really wanted to do that if you had your choice. So, uh, look, one way or another, the path was going to be difficult. They're gonna they're gonna see an ace on on Friday who hasn't given up a run in twenty eight and a third straight innings. Andrew Rabbit is really good, uh, left hander, ninety one to ninety five. He's got three pitches and keep you. He can keep you off balance. Uh, you know, he struck out 136 dudes, and so he's he's got one of the highest strikeout totals in college baseball. And and you're going to have to find a way to get through him, and that's why they're going to throw Brett Carey, you know, because the over-under on run scored against a guy like that isn't much. You know, you, you maybe put it at one and a half, and if you explode for a few, hey, that's, that is fantastic. You should feel pretty good about where you stand with Carey going. Um, but, you know, nonetheless, what you want to try to do is get him out of the game somewhere before the seventh inning, maybe run his pitch count up or whatever it is, get him into some trouble and then try to do some damage late. So, you know, kind of circling back though. Yeah, it's look, the, the road was the road was going to be difficult no matter what. Uh, they were either going to draw one of the top seeds if they advanced or they were going to draw a big arm in the first or second game they played. And uh, so they're going to have to go through it at some point. And I think they'll be ready to go on Friday. Well, when you start start looking at, at Virginia, as we focus here on game one, you're going to throw Brett Carey against Andrew Abbott. Andrew Abbott, like you mentioned, is the second in the country in strikeouts with 136. And then you oppose him with Brett Carey, who, who, who's, who's your alpha, who's your, your dog in game one. It, but it, it's kind of a – I know fans kind of see it as possibly a, a double-edged sword because, you know, Carolina fans, they think about the whole year – well, we weren't. We hadn't been very good on Friday night offensively, and so there's a lot of people out there that would say, "Why wouldn't you hold Brett Carey for for Game Two? But then there's also another side to it, the double-edged sword, to where if you start Brandon Jordan or Thomas Farr in Game One, even though they've had rest, you're still not going to be as good as of a scenario as you would be with Brett, with Brett Carey on the mound. So, where what do you kind of see that that double-edged sword? Would you prefer? carry to start in game one. I know for me, when I look at it, I would definitely prefer that. But but what would you speak to kind of that double-edged sword in that way? 
Yeah, you don't want to lose game one. I mean, it's not that it's impossible to make your way back through if you do lose game one. I mean, Carolina, of all four teams in this regional, they've got the deepest pitching staff, so it's there. Um, you know, what they don't have is a consistent uh, run-producing offense. And and so, yeah, I mean, you have to match an ace with an ace in a situation like this. You want to find a way to, to win game one and really put yourself in position to not have to play four or five games. So, um, you know, look, Ray Tanner made a living off of going with your guy in game one. He didn't hold dudes. He just didn't. Uh, back in 2010, when they were kind of on the ropes against the Citadel, and they threw Dyson in game one, and even though Blake was your ace all year, we have to also remember Dyson was the ace coming into that season, and they, and they were 1A and 1B, basically. Now, Blake Cooper was hot, and he was really good, and, of course, he was fantastic uh, in the postseason that year. But Ray Tanner always said, you you play today for today. You worry about tomorrow, tomorrow. And, you know, without that type of mentality, we would have never known about a guy named Michael Roth uh, because, you know, they didn't worry about Clemson in that World Series until Michael Roth Got the ball. Jay Brown was set to start that game. He thought he would start that game. Uh, I know that because Jay Brown and I were roommates, and uh, and so you know he he was all prepared to go, and and then he walked in late that night and said, you know Roth, you're going to get the ball tomorrow, and and the legend was born. Right. So you know you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow until you get there. Sometimes. So with South Carolina, you know they've got three guys who false who are all guys uh, who who have been starters are capable guys. I mean, Thomas Farr was your Friday night dude. Then Jordan moved into that role. And obviously, Brett Carey is the talent. And and he could have been Friday nights all along, but they needed him in the bullpen. So I think you you play game one for game one. You match an ace with an ace. I think uh, Skyler Mead and, and Mark Kingston have absolutely hit the nail on the head. You don't want to give in. Uh, try to go get them and, and try to get it if you can. And then you worry about ODU more than likely. Uh, on Saturday, probably going to see an ace there too because Old Dominion has thrown uh, their best guy, Hunter Gregory, typically in game two. So I don't anticipate he's going to throw against Jacksonville. So if you get through Virginia, uh, you're probably going to have another ace, probably the best arm that you'll that you'll see from Old Dominion. Um, but but that's okay because you you know you don't you're not going to see that guy unless you win game one. And um, and this team really really needs to win game one. I think Brett Carey was absolutely the right decision. Now, Bennett, if they – not to be long-winded, but if they were a one seed and they drew Jacksonville, I don't know that you'd see Brett Carey in game one. I think they'd feel pretty comfortable about their odds of winning with Jordan or Farr on the bump. Uh, but that's not the case. The case is they're going to get one of the best arms in the country, and they got to find somebody who can match that arm by keeping Virginia maybe under a run or two. And uh, Brett Carey is the guy at this point in time who's most capable of doing that. Yeah, but I, I definitely agree. And, and, you know, when I looked at it, I kind of looked at it as if you were playing a one through four, one and four matchup, you could go with a guy like Brandon Jordan. But when, you, when you're when playing a, a two, three, especially a, a team that, that's coming in a little bit hot, that's also a throwing their ace and Andrew Abbott, you had to go with Brett Carey against Virginia. But offensively for the Gamecocks, it's, it's been up and down this year. Has it found? found a lot of consistency late in the season, but they did start to show a little bit of better stride against Kentucky yep. later in the season. Andrew Eister starting to hit the ball a little better. Wes Clark, after that monster start, he's starting to find the groove a little bit again. Brady Allen's been the kind of the MVP of the season. But when you look at these matchups against 
Andrew Abbott and then potentially Hunter Gregory there in game two against ODU. What's going to be the key for the Gamecocks offensively this weekend? Well, they got to put the ball in play. I mean, he's, he's a strikeout guy and you can't make anything happen uh, unless you put the ball in play. And, and they generally play pretty good defense behind him as well. You know, since that Kentucky series, Eister's hitting 406 in this lineup for Carolina. Uh, Brady Allen is hitting 322, and Josiah Seitler is hitting 354. And Wes Clark's 283 since the uh, since May, May 1st. He's also hit seven home runs and has 18 ribbies in that span. So those guys, you know, it, they, they haven't necessarily been perfect day in and day out, but those are your, those are your dudes, and they need to act like dudes in the postseason. And they've been, as you mentioned, trending in the right direction. So, look, if you're Carolina, there's a couple of things. One, you got to find a way to battle, and you got to run pitch counts, and 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 you can't go up there with the intent of, well, we need to drive the ball out of the yard. Eister's the perfect type of guy for this type of guy, a lefty who's 91 to 95 is going to try to keep you off balance. Um, when Andrew Eister generally buckles down is when he's got two strikes on him, so he'll probably need to find a way. Uh, this weekend, I'm sure they've been working on it. As a matter of fact, I know they have uh, to kind of create that approach a little bit earlier in the A-B. Maybe not with no strikes, but when you get one, start looking towards what they're calling Eister Alley up there, uh, the Michael Roth bullpen in right center field at, uh, at South Carolina. But, you know, they kind of adjusted their offensive approach before the Kentucky series. Um, they were doing their best to minimize strikeouts. Of course, kind of are who you are this late in the year. Uh, but at the same time, they were trying to get guys not only just to put the ball in play, but to to think a little bit differently. Basically, what I mean by that is understand sometimes you can do more by doing a little bit less up there. It doesn't have to leave the yard. Uh, it doesn't have to find a gap. Sometimes just putting pressure on on the on the opposition's defense is good enough. Allow them to make a mistake or allow them to make a decision that maybe doesn't work out for them. So they're going to have to find a way to force Vanderbilt or excuse me Virginia into some of those into, into some of those decisions uh, on on Friday. You know, you if look if they run up there and and pound two or three balls out of the yard, and all of a sudden they're up five, six, seven, nothing in this game, the whole country is going to be shocked because Andrew Abbott hasn't given up a run in twenty eight and a third innings. I mean, he's been literally unhittable uh, for the last four starts or so. So. Put the ball in play. I've got a feeling you're going to see small ball early in games. I know there's some fans that don't like seeing that. Um, not a big fan of the bunt, but if you're called on it, you, if you're called to do it, you're going to have to get it down. You might see a hit and run or two. Uh, you might see some guys try to swipe a couple of bags. Runs are going to be at a big time premium, so they're probably going to press some buttons early on if guys give them a chance to press buttons by getting on base. There's no doubt about that, and, and you're definitely going to have to. Gonna have to get creative in trying in trying to score runs, and then we spend a lot of time talking about South Carolina and Virginia. Jack Jacksonville's a, a great story there in the regional. They do have they do have a losing record. Probably probably going to go two and out uh, in the regional. But but Old Dominion, they're they're eighth in the country in batting average. They're they're first in home runs with hundred and one coming in. They, they, they seem like they do everything well. They've been a team that, that's trended late. That's kind of not really anybody's talking about. And if they didn't, they didn't put in a bid to, to host a regional. You know, they're obviously deserving of that number one seed. 
what are what are some things that you're seeing in Old Dominion that people need to watch out for this weekend? Yeah, well, I mean, their their lineup's pretty consistent throughout. Their best three hitters, it's 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 pretty neat how they've done it. One three five. They've got the battle kid, their left fielder, uh, leading off, and then Carter Trice is in three hole, and then Andy Gariola is in the five hole, and the guys that are in the four hole and the two hole are really good as well. Um, maybe not as talented as those dudes, but 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 basically what they've done with that is they've they've given those two and four hole hitters more pitches to see and, and hit because of who's behind them. So it's deep in their lineup. Old Dominion, those three guys I just mentioned, uh, been and have a, a a combined three forty two batting average with forty five home runs this year and one hundred eighty four ribbies. Um, so you know they they swing it they swing it really well. I was texting this morning with Drew Meyer. And he brought up a really good point, and it's something that we should probably all remember anytime that you're playing at uh, at Founders Park, especially this time of the year. Which direction's the wind going to be blowing? And, and we don't know. Um, you know, if it's blowing out to left, that's probably not a not a good thing for anybody playing Old Dominion, unless you, of course you get a stellar performance that day. If it's if it's blowing out to right, uh, it's not the best thing in the world either. But if it's blowing in. That's probably a pretty good thing. Of course, that's going to affect you as well. So it'll affect the whole game. Um, but, you know, that'll kind of depend on matchups. What I don't know about those guys, I, I, I know nothing about their splits. And I know that Carolina has not even settled on some type of rotation. It's not like they've uh, announced or even behind closed doors announced that, well, it's going to be Brandon Jordan or Thomas Farr on Saturday. They haven't gone that far. I think they're, they're waiting to make a decision uh, based on a little bit more research and probably which opponent they'll see before they announce uh, a starter in that one. So the the offense is really good. Uh, they're, they're what you would call their ace. Hunter Gregory is their Saturday guy. So whoever gets through that Friday matchup between Virginia and South Carolina is going to see another ace uh, in, in Hunter Gregory. So they're going to have a little bit of a battle to get through there. Outside of that, they've got arms. None of them go deep. Uh, most of their – this guy probably goes as deep as anybody. Um, but most of their other guys, you know, their starters are four or five inning dudes, and and then they turn it over to their bullpen. So they feel pretty good about their pin. A little bit different though when you're on the road in an SEC park against a program like South Carolina. But Old Dominion's a very capable one seed, and they're probably look. If you ask me today, who are the favorites to win this thing? I would personally say South Carolina and Old Dominion, and not necessarily in that order. Uh, why would I not say Virginia? I, I don't know that Virginia's staff is deep enough to get them through it unless they catch lightning in a bottle. Don't get me wrong. They got the guy to go on Friday. There's no question. But if they if after him, I, I don't know that they've got enough in the tank to survive another at least two, if, if not more, games in a regional. So I, I'd say Old Dominion and South Carolina uh, at the end of the day might be battling this thing out to win it. When, whenever you get past uh, game one with, with Brett Carey, you get to to Brandon Jordan and Thomas Farr, who've traded kind of that ace role throughout the season. Thomas Farr was obviously very, very good in the early part of the season. but And then Brandon Jordan comes in and starts on Friday nights for a few weeks as well. A lot of, There's been a lot of uh, talk about them not pitching in Hoover with the game, Gamecocks obviously lost to Alabama there. But they, when, I, when I look at it, I think, that could be a very benefit for him because I, I don't think we – a lot of times I feel like we underestimate how hard starting, you know, 
10 SEC series is, but and and then yeah. when you add in non-conference opponents like Texas, it just becomes even more harder. But but when you look at the time off that they've had, I think that's going to suit them very well going into this weekend. Oh, absolutely. Uh, look, the whole battery. I mean, um, you know, I spoke with Skylar Mead this morning uh, about a lot of this, and so there, you know, kind of going back to what we talked about at the top of the the, the segment here, you know. Let's make a couple of, of quick points as to how this time off has been, benefited the entire program. You're exactly right. You know, Brandon Jordan and Thomas Farr, it's not that they needed time off. I mean, we've been we've been watching this for a long time. Guys start in February and they pitch through June. That's the way it works. Uh, you know, you, you got to be able to do it and you got to manage arms. And, um, you know, and then once you, once you get into June, you, you hope that you've managed them to where they're, they're fresh and ready to go. And, and that's, that's baseball and generally those teams win. So, um, you know, it's not, it's not like, you know, they absolutely had to have time off. They didn't, but it's beneficial certainly to have time off, not even just to refresh their bodies, but to refresh their minds. And, you know, Colin Burgess, he <laughs> look, man, I used to squat down my, back there. It can be brutal. Right. And uh, and so, you know, watching what he had to go through in that Alabama game after he's been doing it all year, I mean, he got his rear end kicked. Uh, CJ Waynes totally got the yips and he couldn't find it. And, and Burgess was just scrambling for his life to keep balls in front. It was it, it wasn't funny, but, you know, in a way it kind of was. I feel for CJ Waynes. Don't get me wrong. But um, so, you know, he's had time off and, and he's been their guy all year long. I know that that at times uh, Wes Clark's gotten back there. But for the most part, you know, we all know Colin Burgess is caught. So, and and his time off won't just benefit him behind the plate. It'll benefit him with the stick. Uh, it just, it, it, it'll refresh his mind. It'll refresh his body. Brendan Malone, Braylon Wimmer, uh, Virginia doesn't strike out. So, you know, they've 367 strikeouts on the year. That sounds like a lot. Well, Carolina struck out 510, so that should tell you everything you need to know. They're going to put the ball in play. They don't hit a lot of balls out of the yard. They've only hit 35 all year. West Clark's hit 22, all right? So, you know, he's two-thirds of the way there, just one guy. So, they put a lot of balls in play. They hit a lot of balls on the ground. Um, you got to make plays. You got to make plays. And so, having time off for Brandon Malone and Braylon Wimmer, I think, has really helped them from what I understand. We'll see about George Khalil, if he can get in there. It certainly would be beneficial to have him. I think that's... Still maybe a little bit of a coin flip going into the weekend. Um, but, you know, overall, this team probably needed some time. And it's not like they had the time and then all of a sudden they've got to travel. They're home. You know, they've been they'll, at this point in time, you know, come up coming up on Friday, they'll been in their own beds for more than a week and a half. Um, that's kind of rare this time of year uh, with conference tournaments and regionals and things like that. So I, I, I think there is a lot to gain. Uh, not just from the starting pitching, but uh, also from your position guys as well. And and some of the bullpen dudes who, if you do drop a game and you're going to have to work your way through the loser's bracket, they've had a chance to kind of work some kinks out. Uh, you will see, if you lose a game, you're going to see the John Gilrys of the world, maybe, the, maybe some of these other dudes who haven't pitched a whole lot. Their names are going to come up. You're going to see them. They're going to have to throw well. Yeah, man, I, I definitely agree. And then when you – because Columbia, I feel like, is definitely one of the one of the regionals to watch this weekend. When you kind of look outside yeah. of that, there's some great storylines as well. I mean, just looking at another in-state school in, in PC, they go up to Nashville this weekend. Congratulations, 
you just won your conference tournament. Now you get to face Kumar Rocker on Friday night uh, in Nashville. But but when you look at some other storylines, Tennessee, I thought, got a really rough draw for being the number three seed, number three overall seed. And when you look at Wright State, they lead the league, lead the country in batting average. They could be probably a higher seed than they are. And then Duke, Duke is really hot. They just won the ACC tournament. LSU's on the pulmonary farewell tour. Uh, they got Landon Marceau going Friday against Gonzaga. They could win that game, possibly even win that regional. What are some of the other uh, storylines uh, that you're watching uh, throughout and what you, you would encourage uh, people, regionals, to, for folks to take a look at this weekend? Well, yeah, you're right. Uh, first of all, congratulations to Coach Pollock and, and PC. Um, you know, it's a – it's a it's a really neat story. Um, Clinton, South Carolina has had a lot of news out of it all of a sudden in the last month or so. You know, I guess they're never going to punt again in football, which is neat. And then um, and then you've got Elton Pollock and, and the Blue Hose, uh, which I, you know, I, I I was stunned to see them win the Big South. I really was. I mean, that was that was a pretty good league. I mean, you know, Upstate and you know, Campbell. I mean, there's two Big South teams in the tournament, man. I mean, this is. It's 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 pretty neat. So, yeah, you're right though. They got a tough draw. They got to go see Rocker and uh, and you know Georgia Tech, Indiana State are in there, and the Sycamores are pretty good, and the Yellow Jackets are pretty good. So, but they're in it. So, congratulations certainly to them. Um, you know, the two seeds are the story uh, for me because they're they're the what have you done for me lately conversation is up for a lot of these dudes all right so so let's kind of dance i've got the bracket in front of me so bear with me for a second but gonzaga was right there knocking on the door of a of a top 16 i didn't think they'd get one i didn't think they deserved one um but uh, but they were knocking on the door they were one of 20 host sites potentially probably because of geography but um but they were right there so they're on the two line problem with them is you just mentioned it you know they, they're they're drawing the farewell tour for pulmonary and lsu in the postseason is always dangerous. I don't care what they did in the regular season. Um, so that that's interesting. Duke uh, had uh, the championship performance of the year, one uh, nothing in the ACC. Mike Morgan called that game. I thought that was uh, brilliantly done. They're really, really hot. And, um, yeah, watch out Tennessee. I, I like Tennessee to come out of that regional, but Duke is rolling. And, and you know, they've, they've been to a couple of Supers in the last, what, four or five years this isn't anything new up there. So keep an eye on them. You know, Charlotte and Southern Miss are dangerous two seeds. East Carolina probably needs to be careful there. Uh, ECU, probably the best program in the country that's never been to Omaha, if you really think about it. But guess who they're paired with? Vanderbilt, right? So, you know, they've got a really tough draw. Southern Miss and Ole Miss, that's, boy, that's going to be intriguing if they see each other in game two, or I guess that'd be game four. Uh, in that regional, uh, because it is being played in Oxford. Southern Miss feels like they've got something to prove. Be, right now, considered the third best team in the Magnolia State. Uh, Oklahoma State is a, is a trendy pick uh, to maybe knock off Arizona and be a two seed that moves forward. But look, man, I've got my eyes uh, on a couple of other two seeds. VCU and Starkville, they've won 21 games in a row heading into the postseason and the Anteaters of UC Irvine. They've won 14 of 15. They are really, really good. They play a different brand of baseball. Uh, they'll be at Sunken Diamond. Stanford is a is a quality nine seed. There's no question. 
Uh, if somebody said, gun to the head, give me a two-seed lock to move on, I'm taking Irvine all the way to the College World Series. I really like that program. Yeah, I mean, you see Irvine just – there's always, there's always that one team from the from the Big West you think about over the history, like Santa Barbara against, against Louisville a, a few years back. They go to the College World Series, and now – UC Irvine is there as well. But when when you kind of think about, and as we're kind of winding down the last, when you start to think about SEC teams that, that could make make it to the College World Series, when we just look at the bracket, there's obviously seven of the eight that could be in Omaha. You know, it's probably unlikely. Who are the teams that, that you're looking at from the SEC to, to go to the College World Series? You look at Tennessee, you look at Vanderbilt, you look at Arkansas, Mississippi State. Who are? Is there anybody else uh, that you can think of there? And and do you agree with those other four? Well, I I I definitely agree. You know, find somebody. I mean, look, if, if it's an upset, it's an upset. But find somebody in the right mind that doesn't think that Vanderbilt and Arkansas are going to be there. I mean, I, I don't see any. Arkansas is going to be there. There's no way that will be. Jeez, Ben, and I, I don't know. I don't know how far you'd have to go back, but that would be the upset of all upsets uh, if the Razorbacks don't somehow uh, find their way in. They're paired with La Tech, who I have a ton of respect for, but 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 this is Arkansas. Um, they'll be there. Vanderbilt, uh, you know, I don't see any reason why Vanderbilt won't be there. Paired with East Carolina, like the Pirates program, Vanderbilt's got the arms. Uh, you know, especially if you win Game One and Game Two, it's over. So. Um, I, I would definitely take those two. You know, if I had to take a third, to be honest with you, and I know that I mentioned VCU, but if, if Mississippi State gets through their regional, I think they're in. Uh, because I, I, Look, I do feel like Notre Dame probably will get out of their regional. I think they will. Um, could be some hiccups in there. I'm a little bit less certain on that after talking to Mike Morgan about it earlier today. He's going to call that regional in South Bend, and he had a lot of good things to say about UConn. Uh, and even about uh, even about Michigan, and you know Notre Dame just got torched by Virginia in the ACC tournament, fourteen to one. Uh, I don't know that there's any carryover from that necessarily, but um, but if Notre Dame gets through, Mississippi State gets through. They're going to play that in Starkville, I, and I do like Mississippi State. I think there's a lock the SEC gets three. I think there's a good chance they get four. Um, I think it's it drops significantly to, to get more than that. But if they did. You know, you bring Tennessee into this, uh, certainly. And, and look, I, you can't sleep on Florida. I mean, they go to Omaha. That's what they do. The Gators go to Omaha. So, you know, Kevin O'Sullivan, he pulls the right strings this time of the year. It's a team that can get there. Uh, I know that their draw is Texas, so nobody's picking them to go. Everybody's picking Texas. I understand that. You can't sleep on them. I, I'm not picking them to go to Omaha. Um, but I would say I'd say feel really good about three and feel feel pretty good about about four. I think there's going to be a lot of teams from the Southeastern Conference. Well, when you, we're talking about pitching matchups, obviously in the re, in the regionals, I, I would put Brett Carey and Andrew Abbott up against anybody. But no super re, super regional when you start talking about Texas and Florida, Ty Madden versus Tommy Mays, that's going to be a heck of a battle. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, if that's if that's where it goes, I mean, you know, I like Madden a little bit more than I like Tommy Mace. Uh, seeing both of them this year, um, but certainly like Madden, you know, in that, um, yeah. I mean, you you look across the country and you look at at some of the great arms out there. 
I, I think you'll really see some astounding future big league matchups in the College World Series more than likely. But, um, I, you know, you can make an argument that this is the deepest uh, group of arms in the postseason that we've maybe ever seen. Uh, and you equate a lot of that to COVID because of guys who, who were able to come back and pitch again. You know what's interesting, too, about this a little off topic here, but I, I do want to bring this up. I, I was looking last week at the uh, the Athletic. They put out a mock first-round draft uh, for Major League Baseball. And I think 18, 16 or 18, one of those, of the 32 selections were high school kids, which was shocking to me because the trend for the last decade-plus has been much more to the co collegiate level. And, and so I think that we all thought going into this year, I mean, college guys, I mean, you, you know, there's been, you, you know, you're, you're right in the thick of it. College guys have been going in the first round, especially arms. And within a year or two, you're seeing them in the big leagues. Um, we've seen a ton of dudes, Casey Mize, you know, at Auburn. And we've seen a ton of guys come out of the SEC in leagues all across the country and then pop right up. And there they are. They're all of a sudden in the big leagues. So I that kind of caught my attention a little bit. I, I wondered about that. You know, is wow these these high school dudes must really be good. Um, but I think what we thought was coming into twenty twenty one, there was going to be this abundance of talent that was just going to fill up the first round. And when you look, I mean, I'm pulling up the bra I'm looking at the bracket right now. I mean, Arkansas. I mean, they've got two first round arms in my opinion. Um, we know Ole Miss Gunnar Hoagland's out. But he's, you know, he's he's got first round stuff. He's actually still in that mock draft, and he's having surgery. Uh, Vanderbilt, they, you, we know they're going to have two first rounders. Um, you know, the kid from from Virginia, uh, Tommy Mace at Florida, Madden at Texas, uh, and that's just to name a few. I mean, Brett Carey's not a first rounder; he's a top five rounder. He'll go high, you know. So there are arms all over the place out there, and you know, maybe some of these draft projections, maybe a little side storyline to folks who are interested when they're watching the postseason, starting with the regionals this weekend, keep an eye on some of these top arms in the sport and watch how they progress throughout uh, the month of June. And let's see if that can get them into some of these first-round projections because I think there's a lot of big league arms that you're about to see over the next couple of weeks. Well, I de definitely think so, too. And, and it, it's it's amazing to me how, how far we've come in this to where what you were saying that the college ball is just becoming – so, so much more prevalent when you get to the major leagues because when you draft a guy out of high school, probably going to be waiting the same amount of time that they would if they were to go to college, plus probably another couple of years. So you're looking at probably a five, four or five year turnaround. Was if you if you were to draft a guy like Jack, for instance, Jack Leiter or Kumar Rocker that are probably going to be top ten picks, being from Vanderbilt, they're going to be in the major leagues, just like we saw with Casey Mize and those guys. They're going to be in the major leagues either in the next year or the next two years. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so the draft is shortened, and that's even more mystifying to me. But, you know, at the same time, if if you kind of think about it a little bit different, all right, so the draft, all right, the, the way that it can work. I mean, there's no draft that's more confusing than the Major League Baseball draft. None. Um, for a multitude of reasons. Um, but, you know, the, all right, so the way that it can kind of work, right, is if, if you because college baseball is getting guys into the big leagues faster, you almost wonder 
if Major League Baseball is trying to combat that now. Like um, the draft is shortened to you know twenty rounds, and so w- what traditionally used to happen was you'd sign some high school guys, you'd sign your college guys, and then you'd sign a bunch of dudes late. And some of them would be courtesy selections, basically. Look, we're going to put you on the board. Um, we know you're not going to sign, but hopefully this will help us in three years to be able to get you again if you have a good career in college baseball. Sometimes he'd sign, they they draft a guy late because they have a they have a pool of money that they weren't expecting to have. Maybe they negotiated lower terms with with somebody that they went that went in the top ten rounds or something like that. So all of a sudden, an extra half million dollars kind of showed up. And I was like, well, now wait a second here. We, we can steal this guy here in the, you know, the 30th round for whatever amount of money. Uh, and, and and he'll still sign as opposed to drafting him higher and having to pay more money. So there's a little bit of a formula in everybody's organization. So you almost wonder if because the draft has been shortened and college guys have been in college for so long that they're kind of ready to go ahead and move on anyways uh, because of the COVID year. If they're trying, if Major League Baseball is saying, all right, if we really like a high school kid, let's go ahead and draft him so he so we don't lose him to, to college baseball. We'll bump back some of our our, our college guys. We'll still pay him because the money's going to be there. And then these second, third, fourth, fifth round college arms or college bats or whomever they go go get are still going to get their way through the minor leagues and into the big leagues in pretty good time. And then they've also drafted a high school project, three or four year, five year guy in the first round. And they got everything that they wanted combating that college dilemma almost. So I don't know if you're necessarily following what I'm saying, but it, it, it almost feels like they're they're trying major league baseball, these organizations are trying to play the system and get the best of both worlds, basically using these guys who've had a lot of time in college baseball and are ready to go ahead and move on against against them and and selecting them a little bit lower and maybe dropping uh, what their asking price is just because they've already been in college for three or four years and they're ready to go. That's def- definitely a great point, and it makes a lot of sense. And and kind of the la- last thing, last topic I had for you was I could, couldn't let you go without asking you. We just just got announced that, that this is going to be the farewell tour for Coach K. It's completely mm-hmm. non-baseball related, but basketball related. But just just your thoughts on his, on what he's meant for the game and, and where – and, you know, we, we hear a lot of times, you know, Roy Williams is kind of reasoning for retiring was he doesn't like the way basketball's headed with the, the transfer portal being, you know, NIL coming up. These, these guys are trying to possibly get out of the game a little bit sooner than they would have. But but just your, your thoughts on what Coach K's meant, meant to Duke and, and the, the idea of, of keeping the head coach uh, in the family and John Shire's been – a person of interest uh, this morning as far as a guy that, that's going to replace Coach K, but that's kind of a mixed results when you look at it. There's North Carolina, for example, but but Duke's a, a top program. They could go out and, and find the top guy, whoever they want, instead of keeping it in the family if they wanted to. Yeah, well, first of all, on Coach K, you know, the social media world has, has created um, – what I call keyboard warriors, and it's created uh, this 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 group of people out there that that um, they they will do whatever it takes to to take a shot at somebody that's successful in anything, and and so I think over the last few years you you see more negative out there about some of the best names in sports. People like to hate on the winners, 
like the Coach K's and the and the Roy Williams and the Nick Sabins of the world and things like that. I, I'm not one of those guys. Um, I have always respected greatness in anything that anybody does. And he, you can argue that that Coach K is the is the best basketball coach in the history of basketball, um, in, or at least in the history of college basketball. I mean, John Wooden is obviously in that. I mean, there's there's so many names you could throw out there. I get it, but but look, he's about to be 75 years old. Uh, it's it's amazing what he's done for as long as he's done it. Um, he has created a a group of men in this in this country who I, I think are, are pretty good people. He's created stand-up human beings, guys who've represented not just Duke, but basketball, college athletics, and whatever business they're in now exceptionally well. Uh, there's always going to be guys that play for you that, um, you know, are a little different, like the, the dude that they had on the roster a few years ago that kept falling over and tripping everybody. Um, but, you know, I don't know that that in any way, shape, or form falls back on Coach K. So, you know, it's – it's amazing to me. Every generation has a group of of greats um, that we got to say. Well, we we saw them do this, that, and the other. I was working for ESPN Radio in Charleston in 2017, covering the regional in um, uh, in Greenville when South Carolina upset Duke, and that was really uh, uh, unbelievable right from from the Gamecock side it was unbelievable the energy in that building that night was something I've never seen that in a college basketball gym or atmosphere it was it was the most unique thing you'd ever seen with the North Carolina we've all seen the images North Carolina fans uh pulling against Duke and this that and the other for me though uh the the other side of it was I got to watch coach K um coach a basketball game that was so cool man uh it really was so neat to watch how he carried himself watch how he talked to people how he talked to his team, how he talked to Frank Martin. Um, it was really cool. And so I, I think that we've all been blessed to see Coach K in basketball. This sport is going to miss him. Uh, and, uh, and, and I think um, it's, you know, I think there probably is a part of it, like you mentioned a moment ago, Bennett, where some of these guys who've been in this game for a long time, they've seen the changes. You know, I don't know that they love the changes that are happening, and, and there probably is a piece of them that is ready to move on, and that's perfectly okay. That's perfectly fine. I, I'm I'm kind of an old soul as well. I, I don't like a lot of the changes that are happening in college athletics, um, but they're happening, and so you have to change with the times, and if you don't, maybe it's time to do something else, and, and maybe that's part of it. I don't know. I'm not going to speak for him. So... Uh, I think it's a great legacy. Uh, if John Shire is the guy, which it looks like that's probably going to be the case. I've seen reports uh, about that today. Um, yeah, I hope it works out. You know, Duke is a program like the great programs in sports, especially in college sports. If you're the best, you, I think you're obligated to your organization, to your program, to your school, to your fan base to go get the next best guy. Um, it, who, who is it? If it's somebody on your bench, that's fantastic. Uh, great. I, I, honest, I don't have a problem with that. I don't care if it's somebody else across the country. I feel like you're obligated to do that or at least try to, um, you know, uh, locally to bring this conversation home to the state of South Carolina a little bit when, you know, when Ray Tanner retired, I saw, I know some people still today think that Chad Holbrook was the wrong pick. Well, they're all wrong. Chad Holbrook was the exact pick for that job. He was brought in. He was groomed for it. He was the best available college baseball coach out there. And, um, you know, it, it, it didn't work out maybe the way that everybody, most importantly, Chad Holbrook, wanted it to. 
Um, so, you know, you take that to this level with Duke and who's going to replace Nick Saban one day. You're obligated to go get the best guy you can get, whether he's got ties to the school or not. And, uh, so if it's John Shire and that's the best guy for the job, then that's the best guy for the job. And we'll see how it all works out. It might, it might not, I don't know, but, um, but nonetheless, it's been really an honor and it's going to be a great honor as a fan of sports to watch coach K and what I guess we'll call his farewell tour coming up here in the fall. I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to, to watching the farewell tour. And, and JB, thanks so much for for taking time today. That you're you're re- recording your your regional show uh, coming up here tomorrow. So really appreciate you taking some time today. But tell everybody where they can find you on social media, where they can find the show on social media, and how they can watch and listen to the show. And again, I just you know really appreciate you taking time today. And let's do it again soon. Yeah, anytime. Absolutely. Yep. Uh, you can always follow us on. Across all social media platforms, uh, at JB and Goldwater, individually at Sports Media JB and Darren Goldwater, my partner. And then you can head to jbandgoldwatershow.com and uh, make sure you download our app too. Uh, just type in JB and Goldwater in your app store. It's free. You can watch and listen to us there. And uh, and it's always easy to find us Monday through Friday, 12 to 2. And the, and the, this, the iPhone world that we're living in, uh, apps are the way to go. And, and yeah. I, I would in, encourage everybody to download their app as well because – has everything you want to know, where you can watch, where you can listen, and they do a great job. And thanks so much to JB for coming on today. And thank you for watching and listening to Crunch Time Plays today. Make sure you hit that subscribe button on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. It's been another edition of Crunch Time Plays. And enjoy the tournament, everybody. God bless.